Michael Oshlink here. I'm talking to Mark Lesser. He is the author of the new book, Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader. Mark helped develop the world-renowned Search Inside Yourself program within Google, a mindfulness-based emotional intelligence training for leaders, which teaches the art of integrating mindfulness, emotional intelligence, and business savvy for creating great corporate cultures and a better world. He founded was CEO of three companies, is author of four books, and has an MBA degree from New York University. Mark was a resident of the San Francisco Zen Center for 10 years and director of the Tassajara Zen Mountain Center, the first Zen monastery in the Western world. How are you doing, Mark? I'm good. Good morning, Michael. Good to see you. So uh, first of all, I want to do a shout out to John Steiner. He was uh, kind enough to bring your book to my attention and to make the proper introductions. So thank you for that, John. Uh, great guy. Um, I'll just I'll just interject. Little known fact: uh, sure. John Steiner and I were roommates at Tassajara Zen Mountain Center a long time ago. It was actually um, my first um, my first practice period, first um, ninety day retreat, and that's how I I've met John and I've been um, in touch with him. You know, over all these years. More recently. Um, I bump into him at um, social venture network meetings, um, uh, kind of this organization that's a cross between business and social, social good. Right on. No, that's great. I did not know how far your connection with John goes back. <laughs> Way uh, back. I'm not surprised. And I'll just tell you a funny story on my side. Uh, I was in Ecuador uh, many, many years ago and I was at a cafe and I struck up a conversation with the guy sitting at a table next to my table. He goes, I'm from Colorado. And I said, do you know John Steiner? And he did. <laughs> so I think everyone in the world, to some degree, has some kind of connections with John, which is wonderful, as he's a great guy. Yeah. But uh, we're here to talk about your new book, Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader. Um, before we do, I you know, kind of laid out a little bit of your history. You have a lot of work within the meditation field, and you also have an MBA, and you've done a lot of business work. But you know, fill in the gaps. What didn't I talk about that kind of led you to the life that you're now leading? And what you're teaching in the world? Yeah, I uh, I was a undergraduate at Rutgers um, when I kind of first kind of caught the the I don't know the mindfulness bug the the started asking the questions about like why am I here at Rutgers and what is my life really like and what do I why why do I think this way and why why do I feel this way and and um, and those questions led me to take a, a, a one-year leave of absence from Rutgers and head to San Francisco, where at the time uh, I, I, I joined a, um, actually it was a program connected to Sonoma State University called the Humanist Institute, was brought me uh, to San Francisco. Made it, it was an easier sell for my parents because it was connected to a graduate program. Um, and but but then it then it became a much harder sell when I announced that uh, this uh, this uh, education on the West Coast was what I needed instead of coming back to to Rutgers and I um, yeah I I while in San Francisco I learned of the Zen Center and I was there's something really appealing to me about about Zen practice and about that that community in, in particular and. Um, yeah, I, I, I heard of the Zen Center through the Tassajara Bread Book, interestingly enough. And, and I was really attracted by the combination of, 
you know, bread baking, very practical. Uh, there was some real depth to uh, Ed Brown's words in that book. And also there was a sense of humor to it. And I was like, wow, this, this is, um, this, I'm attracted to these things. Now, I walked into the Zen Center uh, in the city one day and, and I just immediately felt this sense of being, being at, at home. And uh, that one year uh, turned into 10 years. <laughs> and totally, totally, totally upended and transformed, you know, my every everything in my in my life. And and um, oddly enough, it also led me to be drawn to the world of leadership and work, uh, which, you know, when I think back to when I was an undergraduate, I wouldn't I wouldn't have even associated with people who were business majors uh, at the time. It, business had sort of a bad, bad rap to it. Um, but and and I think in some sense I had this um, kind of audacious idea of seeing what I could do to change that. Uh, that that um, a, a big part of my experience at the Zen Center was was having uh, leadership roles. Uh, having you know I I I ran the Tassahara Kitchen for a year and then I was director of Tassahara for a year. Um, so that's you know in a way those things sort of set the table of the the um, the really uh, profound experience of of the integration of you know meditation practice mindfulness practice with work and leadership and wondering like why isn't everybody doing this this makes so much sense and uh, it seemed like it would be so good for uh, as a way of of you know, reducing you know greed, hate, and delusion in the workplace, and uh, changing the the way that corporations look like they were working, and the way leadership was framed. So uh, that was that kind of set set my path. And and um, yeah, business school started. I started a publishing company uh, called Brush Dance. Uh, we we made a greeting. We were one of the first companies in the world. Uh, to make uh, greeting cards, wrapping paper out of recycled paper. Wow. And that was a 15-year um, run. Nice. And um, again, I think in some way I needed, uh, looking back, you know, the story I tell is that uh, I needed to be in the CEO seat. I needed to really get that experience of what it's like gr running, growing a, a company. Um, and, um, and then it was after that that I... Um, started a coaching consulting practice and right away found myself working with Google engineers. And it happened to be right at the time when a Google engineer wanted to start a, a program within Google of bringing mindfulness, meditation, emotional intelligence. And I, I was part of a team that uh, created that program, Search Inside Yourself. And then I, um, I was also then part of a team that created a, an organization to spread that work outside of Google into other companies. And I was the CEO of the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. And you now that's, that's kind of my, the story. What uh, year did you make it to San Francisco? Early on, I'm an, I'm, uh, I'm an, I'm, I'm an old guy somehow. Uh, I, it was 1973 okay. that I, um, I was lucky. I, you know, I, um, you know, Actually, it's funny as I say this, I realize how much um, my my view of the military has changed since my uh, my wife 
um, works uh, with veterans. And it's um, a very common experience for me to have Marines at my dinner table these days. Um, and, um, but I, uh, I, I wasn't drafted. I, was, I got a high number in the lottery, 1973, and had the luxury of being able to choose to come and spend some time on the West Coast. Um, offline, I'd love to learn more what your wife does because I also do, do work with vets, but we'll save that for another conversation. That sounds, that sounds an important conversation for us to have. Yeah, she's, she's uh, actually she's in Nashville, Tennessee right now leading a veterans retreat. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, uh, that sounds great. Um, so 1973, you're in San Francisco. Contextualize this because in your book you talk about, you, you mentioned you started out as a cook and you eventually ran the kitchen. I contextualize it to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago that a previous, uh, maybe a book was written by Dog, Dogen, who was by the founder of, of uh, Zen in Japan, um, called Instructions to the Cook. <laughs> and I, I was fascinated to read that in your book because he talks about three different minds, the joyful mind, the grandmother mind, and the wise mind. And it's uh, amazing to hear the lineage, like, you know, how you are now expressing some of the earlier thinking and applying it to not only, you know, a Zen setting, but to tech, technology world, the tech world, the business world, broad, broad, more broadly. Um, so just briefly, talk about the 700 years plus of the yeah. tradition. Yeah, I think it's significant, especially, you know, it's easy to think that oh, what a, what a novel new idea that, you know, of mindfulness in the business world. And, um, and, and of course, you know, this is something, it, it's a, I think even further back than, than seven or 800 years ago, uh, that in fact, um, this was in some way the origin of, of Zen practice, right? So Zen, Zen kind of emerged um, like in the fifth and sixth century in China. Okay. when the kind of mystical mystical buddhist tradition of india met the the work oriented ethical oriented and um and nature oriented buddhism and religions of confucianism um confucianism and taoism that were happening at at the time in uh in china and and work it, work was a big part of of spiritual practice you know there was a uh, famous saying that emerged from that time: "A day, a day of no work is a day of no eating." Um, and uh, but but this was kind of just you know a, a saying to express that work that that one's it, it wasn't all about sitting meditation. This was a kind of a a shift in in how um, spiritual traditions were were viewed. And then uh, several hundred years later, the founder of of Zen in Japan, this fellow Dogen wrote what became a, a really um, kind of key essay, right? Instructions to the head cook, and laid out laid out this formula for and for practicing for bringing meditation practice for bringing mindfulness practice into work into the daily work. And and as you just said, um, it's actually a, a pretty it's a beautiful uh, both both poetic and practical essay that he wrote, um, worth checking out. In fact, there's, there's some people have written books on this. Um, I know, I think Bernie Glassman okay. uh, has a, wrote a book um, about this essay. And, and one of the highlights though, and the, one of the parts that I think is kind of most easily sort of translatable into, into any job that you have is to work 
to aspire to work with with the mind of joy, with the mind with the mind of unconditional love. He calls it, you know, grandmother mind, and and with wise mind, the mind, you know, to actually what what a amazing novel, you know, uh, grounded idea to bring wisdom into your into your work as a as a leader and to in whatever you're doing in the work world, um, you know, in the uh, in the Tassahara kitchen. Um, there's, they actually have like on, in the center of the kitchen, there's, there's, it's, it says, you know, joy, joyful mind, grandmother mind and wise mind are, are there, you know, to, to as, aspire toward bringing that into, into one's work. Now, of course, um, you know, as, as people point out to me all the time and I get to see it all time, all the time, uh, people's experience at work can be anything but uh, joyful, loving, and wise. Right. There are there, you know, there are those uh, toxic environments, those toxic bosses. There's just, and even in the in a good environment, there's stress, there's difficulty, there's things go wrong, things fail, uh, people lose their tempers. Right. So I think I, I just want to, you know, it's not all. I, I, I'm not. I'm not a. Um, I hope I'm not uh, a, a la la land guy. Uh, that. <laughs> You know that 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 I feel like. In fact, I sometimes say, you know, that um, I was the CEO of a of a growing company for 15 years, and I have the scars to prove it. You know, well, actually, that, even in your book, when you talk about uh, running the kitchen, you talk about the stress. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like all woo woo, lovey dovey type. I mean, I'm, you're coming from the place of the hearts. So there was lovey dovey. But it wasn't all like, you know, slow and easy. I mean, it was very fast paced, deadlines, people. I mean, so you, you are really clear in your book that you are operating in what we call VUCA environments, little chaotic environments. Yeah. And the, one of the ways I've read uh, The Wise Mind is that it's about embracing change. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been fortunate to be a meditator since I was nine. Um, and I must say, you know, watching the world of meditation grow from woo-woo, something only Californians do back then. You know, I'm sure other people did it too, but, you know, just kind of in the popular culture, just something like, you know, the military does it now. Um, people in New York, you know, and on Wall Street do it. The tech companies do it, as you've already acknowledged. And I spoke Google. You worked at Google, helping them with their program. Uh, talk to me a little about the changes in culture that you are seeing these days. Um, and when you saw the kind of shifts occurring that allows someone like you to speak to much broader audiences. Yeah, I think this is in a, in a kind of a macro world change that uh, I think there's a big shift under that we're seeing now in, um, you know, businesses over these last few hundred years were built, you know, were, were built in a way, not, I don't know how consciously, maybe somewhat consciously, um, to take to take the humanness out of the workplace and to and to give it the the whole idea was that um, uh, it was more like make, make you know uh, make people more like machines. This is the the sense of um, uh, like bring bring what they learned into into factories. The, the the assembly line mentality to bring that into org charts and cubicles and. Um, and when one could, one can understand that that kind of thinking, it certainly made sense. It probably made sense, especially um, on the assemb- on the assembly lines, where just kind of you know just almost 
making people into, into machines. And I think that filtered into, into the workplaces in general. And I think uh, very recently, I think there's now, for many reasons, um, you know, part of it is technology, part of it is the, the need for collaboration and, and collaboration across time zones and across cultures and the need for businesses to be more more focused on creativity and and people's being skillful with their uh intuitions and uh in innovation processes and i think especially at places places like google and more and more companies are identifying as core practices are about uh collaboration and creativity and those require building great cultures and then when you talk about well what does that mean well that means environments where people can thrive where where it's it's about how do you bring how do you bring people's full full humanness into the workplace that lever that leverages the ability to achieve the kinds of results that companies want to achieve that's one of the, one of the many things I really appreciate about your book is you do go into like emotional intelligence and you talk about the five keys to emotional intelligence, you know, self-awareness, self-management, motivation, aligning with one's values, uh, empathy and social skills. Um, and it seems to me like the, you know, the EQ side of the different skill sets and capacities are now necessary in our globalized, multicultural, fast paced world. Um, you know, our key, our, a key among many different keys that are needed, but you also, you know, you have seven different practices. So it's not just kind of the uh, empathy or emotional connection to another person or self-management. But before we get into your seven practices, one thing I like you to kind of uh, talk about is you talk about the small mind, I me mind, future and past oriented, and the big mind, which is more open and inclusive. Um, talk about the two different minds, both both psychologically, because we're a psychologically oriented culture, but also in the Zen tradition as well. Yeah, I think um, that makes me, th again, I'm going to lean, lean back on, on this uh, Dogen fellow who um, also, you know, in the Zen tradition somewhat famously said um, that his, his prescription for practice was that, you know, if you want to study, if you want to really know what it means to be a full human being, you start by studying the self, right? That the study of the self and all those things that you just named about those five emotional intelligence um, competencies, those five buckets are kind of different ways of getting into learning about our own feelings, emotions, values, proclivities, our skills and relating to other. But then he goes on to say, you know, um, to study the self is to then go beyond the self. So in a way, I would say this is um, a way to respond to that question about studying, studying the self maybe is, is, small, is small mind, is studying, studying learn, becoming very um, you know, attuned and clear to our, our needs, our wants, our desires, our fears, the whole world of me and ego and, 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 all, of, and all of that, which is, you know, Beautiful, beautiful thing to get to, to really get to know it and become intimate with that. But then big mind is in a way going beyond going beyond the self. And 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 again, this um, this can be looked at as again, this gets a little paradoxical 
because in some way, um, from from a Zen from the perspective of Zen, they're actually not so different. They're almost like you know like two sides of one coin, so to speak. That it's seeing that everything of these things that we look at in ourselves are actually kind of extraordinary. Seeing the extraordinariness of of our our what we think of our small selves when we when we look at them through a somewhat different lens, they become they become beautiful, they become extraordinary. But also there's a sense that, you know, Zen even asks this question, and I think this is a human question about, you know, even asking like, well, what, what is consciousness? Uh, you know, uh, wh- and what, uh, how, how are we, how are we spinning things? How are, what, in what way are we interpreting? In what way is our, our experience and the way we look at the world a story? and interpretation. This this is kind of a big mind question, the question of this kind of questioning every, everything, even the, the very nature of how we think and how we interpret the world. Um, And I think that asking those kinds of questions, I think can actually help us with the, the first part with getting to know ourselves. So this is the, I think the, the beautiful paradox of, of, mindful you know it's mindfulness practice you know um one of one of the other things i really you know there's many things i really appreciate about your book it's not just theoretical you're not just laying out hey here are these seven principles but you're also laying out practices questions to be asked things to think about which is really important because you know we are seemingly overwhelmed with information Mm-hmm. And we don't need necessarily more information, although you know, we need more information. We don't necessarily need more information that we can't turn into knowledge that turns into wisdom. Mm-hmm. So what I'd like to do is just maybe touch upon a few of the uh, practices. Um, don't want to go all seven because we want to tease the audience because we want them to go buy your book, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me ask you, actually, and then I'll, then I'll answer my own question. You know, if, do you have maybe a favorite one or two of the seven or one that's I maybe mean, not a favorite one that's more in your mind today or this last week or yeah i think um uh i think they're all pretty pretty amazing and you know but but i, I maybe i my um my leaning would be towards the first and the and the seventh right so okay. uh, love 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 the work and uh and keep making it simpler yeah. uh and and just to unpack a little bit, I think um, when people hear love the work, they say, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. Like I should, I should love the work that I'm doing. I was like, no, that's not the point here. Uh, the point here, it's a, it's a bit of a, um, I think a bit of an Aikido move or a, uh, pull the rug a little bit out from under you. When I say, you know, to love the work, it's, it's to love the work of mindfulness practice. It's to love this work of, of, getting to know one's big mind and small mind uh the the work of developing cultivating more uh more self-awareness and and the and the work of service the work of helping others and and um it's a it's a reframing it's like if you can if you can see that that is the real work then you can do that work in no matter what job you're doing and even if you hate your job, even if you feel stuck, then um, you can learn to love the stuckness. Right. right. You can learn to ask the questions. 
So what the, I, I think one of the things that I really appreciate about this first practice, and that's hard, is that it's, it's really easy in the work world in subtle and not so subtle ways to feel a bit like we're victims, mm -hmm. right? Like, like, how did I get here? What, why am I in this job? You know, when we, and we look out, you know, we look out at other people, you know, then the, you know, who, who have great jobs or, or they, they don't have to work or something. Why, you know, so there's a, the, the, the victim mentality is very easy to seep in and to hardly even notice it. Um, so this practice of loving the work, I think is a kind of radical sense of taking responsibility uh, for whatever situation we find ourselves in, however we got there, okay, what do I do? How, how can I, how can I um, bring a sense of ownership and appreciation whatever the situation is and, and learn from it. And then what, you know, what, what actions do I need to take? You know, if, if again, if I'm feeling stuck, um, what do I need to do? How can I skillfully take uh, actions, have conversations to get, to get unstuck? So I think, um, you know, and this is, um, this is my life, you know, it's, it's one thing. This is one of the things I think we always um, teach, you know, what we need to learn and, uh, and over and over again, you know, this, this is my own, you know, my own practice. And I think it's all of, all of our practice for anyone. I think that, that, um, aspires, you know, to, uh, to have as much positive influence as we can and to, to find a sense of, um, our own, our own well-being in, in the midst of this totally crazy, insane, mixed up world these days. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting listening to you talk and, and having read your book, how interconnected all seven are, because you mentioned the seventh one is also one, maybe not one of your favorites, but one of your favorites, however you want to put it. You know, and it's uh, <clears throat> simplicity, but it's about wonder and awe. And for number one to work, you really have to have wonder and awe. Like what's, you know, asking those deep, deepening questions about your own experiences and experiences of people around you, especially for uh, number five connecting to others' pain. Mm -hmm. um, but in order to do that, one of my favorites, and not necessarily favorites, but one I think is, is, is important to highlight is number two, is actually doing the work. Because uh, it seems like in the instant gratification culture that we have here, especially in the States, um, we, we want to hack everything. We want either instant gratification or easy, quick workaround. We don't necessarily want to do the work. So you having spent time at Google, working with their engineers, and then spreading the work beyond Google and working in, in other tech and business worlds, you know, what is your experience of getting people to actually not just intellectually get it, because I'm sure a lot of these tech guys, intellectually, they're really brilliant, can get it, what you're talking about, but actually doing the practices? Yeah. You know, I think, uh, I think one of the primary experiences that, that actually really surprised me and continues to surprise me in doing this work um, in different different environments, is for people to actually have the experience of listening, right? So one again, and and I think it it really comes into play when you create an environment where you uh, ask someone to just listen to another person without interrupting, without asking questions just noticing what's the experience of listening to another person and and several things happen one is for most people 
they realize how rarely they're actually listening. Uh, in the business world, we're almost trained. You have to come up with your own idea. You're, you're, you're planning what you're going to say. So uh, people experience not listening, and the, and, and the difference is visceral. People can feel it. And, and then I think also the experience of how, how listening creates a kind of connection. That, that there's a way that uh, the way into actually collaborating, actually building a sense of trust uh, starts with listening. And, and then I think, I find, you know, oddly enough, that then maybe is a doorway to people starting to listen to themselves as well. Right. right. right? That it's like, like oh, um, I'm doing this with myself too i'm 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 you know i'm usually i'm i'm either too busy or i've i've already reached i i know what i think i know who i am you know but but to um and again this is a little bit like practice number 3 don't be an expert yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> so it's a little bit like don't be an expert when it comes to who you think you are and and, and imagining you know a, a building that kind of uh sense of curiosity about other people and also about yourself. You know, it's uh, another thing that's great about your book is, is, you know, you talk about leadership, but you know, I don't want people to get to just think it's about, Oh, you have to be a leader of a company, a CEO or upper level manager or, or something like that. You know, this is anyone in any social setting, basically, you know, family in their community in their religious space, anywhere someone can step up and take a leadership role. And as we would say in our own program, leadership fellowship, you, you play both roles. But all those skills will, will uh, you know, help you in any type of human interaction, not just in the corporate space or any kind of, you know, uh, in the business world. Mm -hmm. um, I highly recommend your book. It, it's uh, a great read. And it's actually really short, um, which is uh, nice, especially these days, which people have minimal ability to focus and read. But which is actually kind of funny because, you know, you're, you're teaching mindfulness. So people actually might benefit from doing the practices while reading your book, slowing down and paying attention both to themselves as they read and, and the materials in your book. Um, where can people learn more both about your book and then your consulting firm and other projects you might be involved in? Yeah, I can be found easily. Um, MarkLesser.net. It's M-A-R-C-L-E-S-S-E-R.net. Um, yeah, and these days I'm I'm doing uh, you know trainings and workshops and keynotes and coaching. Um, although I I I notice my um, I have this uh, serial entrepreneurship thing happening. I'm I'm fine. I'm I'm noticing like okay, what's uh, what do I want to create next? And maybe again, maybe it's um, I feel like the uh, this material, this seven practices, um, there's a lot of legs there, a lot to be, uh, a lot to be grown and built there. And at the same time, I'm, um, find myself thinking a lot about, um, the power of listening and how, is there a way, um, how, how can I bring that more and more to, especially to work and work environments? Right on. Well, Hey Mark, thank you for your time. Thank you, Michael. Greatly appreciate your book. I definitely encourage folks to read it, Seven Practices of a Mindful, Mindful Leader. And uh, hope to talk to you again in the near future. Look forward to it. Thanks.